You're listening to the SEI podcast series, brought to you by the Sydney Environment Institute at the University of Sydney. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Welcome to What Lola Heard, Theatrical Sounds of Climate Change. This event is brought to you by the Living Room Theatre and the Sydney Environment Institute from the University of Sydney. My name is Leanne Loke. I'm an artist working with the the Living Room Theatre Company. I'm also a senior lecturer in the Faculty of Architecture, Design and Planning here at the University. So first I'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and and to pay respects to their elders past and present. In the spirit of paying respect to the knowledge embedded forever within the Aboriginal custodianship of country, we can view this event tonight as part of a continuous tradition of music and voice that energizes knowledge and culture in unique ways. What Lola heard, Theatrical Sounds and Climate Change, is a fascinating insight into the creative process in contemporary theater. You might be wondering, what does climate change sound like? What is the theatrical sound as opposed to some other kind of sound? And who is Lola? So all these questions will be answered in due course. I'm certainly curious as to what uh, we will receive tonight about them through various modes of performance. As with all of the living room theater works, they are hard to pigeonhole and defy categorization. Part public talk, part installation, and part concert, the evening brings together internationally acclaimed improvising musicians in conversation with David Rosner, Professor of Theatre Studies uh, from LMU Munich, and Michelle Sanan, the Artistic Director of the Living Room Theatre Company. (laughs) An impressive cast. Michelle has created a body of work to interpret research conducted at the Sydney Environment Institute for a new audience. Uh, This is part of a knowledge translation process um, project that's going on, looking at new ways of um, articulating uh, academic and research knowledge. So intrigued by the public lecture, Michelle takes this idea and reimagines it as a conversation with David Rosner, where they will discuss the exciting new genre of composed theatre, which takes place at the intersection of music and theatre. David is Professor for Theatre and Music Theatre at the Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich. He is here to collaborate with Michelle as a dramaturg on the creative development of a new theatre work to be performed in March this year called Lola Stayed Too Long. There goes Lola again. The conversation will be uh, facilitated by Dr. Killian Quigley. Killian is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Sydney Environment Institute, recently arrived from Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Welcome. My name is Killian Quigley. Michelle Saint-Anne, you are the founder and artistic director of Living Room Theatre and the deputy director of the Sydney Environment Institute. I work there as well, but I'm not as important as you, so you may not have noticed me before. Um, David Rosner, you're professor of theatre science at Ludwig Maximilian Universität München. Welcome, welcome. Um, We need to talk, you two. I don't really know where to begin with this piece that we just heard. I'm feeling kind of scrambled by it. I'm feeling quite uncomfortable. 
in a way that I'm liking. <laughs> but that I'm not quite able to put into words. For you, Michelle, this is, what we've just heard is actually part of a greater whole. Is that right? Can you, yes. can you tell us a little bit about that greater whole and, and what you're working on? Okay, so this, um, what you just heard are samples from um, the work that Alexandra is working, is, is composing for a project I'm working on, Lola Stay Too Long, which is about um, heat waves, you know, the experience of heat waves in the suburbs and its catastrophic effects on the elderly. All the big stuff. And um, what you've heard here is uh, some of those, um, the data that's come back from a study in Penrith that my colleagues at the Institute have been um, doing. And we've had my colleagues from the office actually, um, I've recorded them um, saying those language because we've got to, of course, not give too much away of the, of the identity of the residents. So that's really what you're hearing is the other, the two other uh, musicians improvising um, off those samples and Alexandra's ideas. So what you will have found that was missing is my part, the theatre part. The pictures and the story. And tell us a bit... Tell us a bit about, in a more general sense, the role that music plays in your theatrical practice. Yeah. How are you thinking about music? How are you working with music, working through music and so on? Okay, so I have um, two main um, ways of working. One is um, actually the way it helps me create the rhythm of the work. Um, so where I take the inspiration from, I actually write from music. So music, I, I take Im music gives me images uh, as opposed to the other way around where image, you then put the music on, on top of that. I work the other way around. So uh, music's actually very visual for me. So that's kind of what I, uh, that's how I work. And then on the other side of that, it's not only the music making the work, I then have to fine tune it and loop it around and allow it to sit in the images and the space that I work, because I don't work in theatre spaces, I work in corridors and doorways and dissection labs. And so I then have to work out how that, it, how it sounds and feels and and it manifests in space. And give us a little flavour of, of what that means in real time, as it were. I mean, if you're working with a composer like Alex or whomever else, are you presenting them with a series of thoughts to which they respond or vice versa, or is it a lot of sort of going back and forth? I mean, get us into that space <laughs> a little bit. Um, basically, I stalk whoever I want to compose for me. Oh, good. Um, that's good. And then I vomit all over them with ideas. Oh, good. That's very good. And then they look at me. And then they go away and they usually um, give me something, some sort of, sort of uh, you know, scratches of their ideas and see how it sort of sits with us. With Alex, um, I stalked her and then I did vomit all over her and then... Um, Two days later, she provided me with nine minutes of a piece of music that I went, oh, my God, she's walked inside my head and she's just put this to sound, which, you know, I've paid a lot of, peop I've paid a lot of people to do that and they haven't been able to do that and I just had to speak to a musician. 
And so from that, I w um, she has a lot of space and um, Alistair's the same, uh, Mary's the same, where they leave the tentacles out for where my practice comes and they can hook on and then we go on a journey together. And there's fighting and there's all of that kind of thing going on, but that's how yeah, collaborations work. That's great, thanks. So, <laughs> especially like the bit about the yeah. vomiting. Mm. So, David's here. Well, before, we're not quite ready for you yet, David. But I'll deal with you in just a moment. <laughs> Michelle, why is David here? I love My sense him. is that. I stalked him. <laughs> um, so I was feeling empty and alone making the kind of work that I do in Sydney and um, my beautiful husband found this book, tiny book about that big, about that fat, in Kinakunya and said, you, these are your people, you should read that and I said, that's $80, I can't pay that. <laughs> He's expensive, this dude. And, um, and then I made another work and then I was feeling even more lonely and more pathetic. And so I went back and I bought the book and I read it. And, I cr and <laughs> he thinks it's the, I'm the only person that read it, but um, David McGarrity, I think, read it. <laughs> and I cried because I realised he articulated my practice, he articulated my sensitivity, and I realised that there's a bunch of... Um, middle-aged white guys in Europe who are me. I'm, I'm one of them. And that is such a fantastic and empowering feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! And, and then, um, so then the, this project came up. My, my boss was working on this um, beautiful project about heat waves. And, of course, you can't see heat waves. Um, and she doesn't look fantastic on television, so there's no great tweeting and what have you around heat waves. She's silent. And, of course, that's how I feel. And I think, oh, I talk a lot, but I love the idea that I could give her a voice. And so I've named her Lola. And um, by naming her, she exists. And we received some money from Shark. I can't ever remember what it stands for. And I was able to bring out the beautiful David Rosner. Sorry, I'm excited. David. Yes. What was the name of that book, by the way? Oh, the book. Uh, it's only $79.99. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> It's a book we put together in 2012. It's called, when I say we, it's important to acknowledge my co-editor, Matthias Riebstock. Um, and it was called, uh, it's still called Composed Theatre. Um, shall I talk a little bit about, about Yeah, that tell us what that mm. means. So essentially, Matthias and I felt in conversation that we had a sense that there was something out there, a field of work, a series of performances, and a number of practices that belonged together, that had some connection, and that, that connection was difficult to pinpoint because it, th they were not really a genre, they were not really sort of a cohesive um, aesthetic that you could pinpoint and say, oh, when they do that, you know, we call it composed theatre. But instead, we felt it's something that has to do with the actual process of making them. Uh, there's something that they share which is a kind of a compositional approach, a compositional way of thinking in making theatre. In other words, 
all of these practitioners, not all of them were white men, but usually, yeah, a, a, a predominance of them, um, looked at the theatre almost as as something that one could compose with in its entirety. Entirety. So it's not about rehearsing a scene with dialogue and actors, and that's wonderful, and then you add some music to it. Um, so I learned this new new word today, because I, I still struggle with what to call this kind of music that we heard earlier, the, the, the kind of music that's designed, composed, made for theatre. Um, and I tend to call it theatre music, which is not very inventive, but anyway. But there's another word out there which is called soundtrack music, and that's sort of that that actually plays into that idea. It's literally a separate track. It comes from film, of course. You know the idea of you shoot the film, the film's ready, and then you chuck some music on it. And that can be better or worse, but you know it's it's a separate, segregated kind of thing. And here, what we find is a much more, and in composed theatre in general, a much more integrated process, where th the it ideas of rhythm or sound or timbre or form or structure extend throughout the work and shape the, the, the words, the gestures, the images, the, the spaces, etc., etc. Okay, so, and so when we talk about composition, we're talking about musical composition or quasi-musical composition, styles of composition coming from music. Have I got that right? Yes, th that's another thing we learned because I'm German, so for us, composition is, is practically always associated with music. And I learned that in, in English, composition can be chemicals together that make a plastic or something like that so we had to kind of say no, no no what we're talking about is is musical composition but in a in that extended sense that you can also compose lights or you can compose you know you can sort of apply compositional thinking to other things and of course there are historical pioneers such as john cage or, or other people who've, who've explored those ideas that a Composition can extend to things other than traditional instruments or sounds. It can extend to noises. It can extend to, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, you know no, yeah, sounds in general. But also, it can even extend to visual things. Uh, you could even compose smells, but maybe we're not going there yet. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> ah, see. Say that, say that into the microphone. Um, we've got blood and bone in the next work because it smells like death. Isn't that nice? You keep the microphone for a second there, Michelle. Thanks, David. That was really good. So give us, Michelle, give us a sense of, for you, like, you've, you've told us a bit about what, what about composed theater resonates so powerfully with your work or the ways in which your work intersects with it. Um, how is that different for you from what we might think of as conventional or traditional theater? How is this represent a departure from, if it's fair to say this, the sort of standard way of making theatre? Um, I guess it, for me when I read the book I realised that there is other ways of making and there, there are other ways of receiving work. So that was really important for me that I thought that um, I was working in this silo and look at me, I'm so brilliant. You know, there he comes the light and that floats across the room and then it catches the foot of a woman and then boom! Sound comes from a corridor. Well, there's other people doing this stuff, and I was really excited. That I was part of a party. I had, I had friends, and in doing that, I was able to allow people to feel. I was able to let them feel vibrations through the body and and smell. So you know, um, I, I made a solo work about uh, 
um, it was like a, an autobiography. So of course, I grew up in a you know smelling Indian food. So when the audience came in, they would smell Indian food. I made another work based on Tim Winton's book, The Riders, um, which is about loss of home. So I used to roast um, a leg of lamb before because to me, leg of lamb smells of home for Australians, and even the vegetarians loved it. <laughs> 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 so I, I guess it, it, it allows me a holistic way of, of making work so people um, experience theatre in a holistic way. Thanks very much. Back to David for a sec. Obviously this is Michelle's work that's engaging us with climate change. Um, maybe I'll say for me, like um, activating my senses, my rational brain, my body, to think about climate change in, in ways that maybe other sorts of things like academic papers or television reports or what have you don't. What's your impression of, of the relationship between composed theatre and maybe climate change in particular, but, or perhaps more generally, um, efforts to sort of connect people with pressing concerns in their immediate locales or, or in the world at large? Well, that's a tricky one, I think. Um, I mean, I guess what, what composed theatre, um, what, 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 what it is characterised by, I think in general, is an experimental outlook. It's a kind of theatre that takes nothing for granted to begin with. So it doesn't say, oh, it's got to have three acts. It's going to have two main character, uh, characters, and they've got to fall in love at some point. And there's going to be a... And I'm not saying that we don't need, still need those kind of stories, and, and they're not sort of, you know, fine, and we all crave them. But this is something that, that composed theatre departs from and, and renegotiates the way in which the things we see connect with each other, maybe we have to do quite a bit of work of that connecting, maybe they're just put next to each other and, and we'll connect the dots. So it, it, I think it activates a different kind of um, spectatorship, a different kind of engagement, and it also allows for... big. You know, it's we, we talked about this the other day and the word that came up a, c a couple of times was destabilizing. That sounds a, a bit negative, but it kind of... It can be quite a good thing, you know. If you're stable, if you're a stable genius at that, then um, obviously you don't <laughs> want. Ooh, it's getting political. Uh, then you don't want new things to to come into your mind. Obviously, seriously. Um, but if 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 you're sort of slightly, you know, reeling from jet lag or whatever, then you 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 you, you make different kinds of experiences, uh, and it it uh, it, um, it leaves different impressions on you. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, it can be a space where where things can be talked about and experienced in in different ways but 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 in essential ways so it's 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 a in terms of the knowledge it produces or or transfers we have that word as well knowledge transfer it's um it's not your conventional narrative that makes sense that has a beginning and an end because what we experience is it does not have a beginning of an end it's not a neat story uh, it's a very complex issue and we can only begin to engage with it by in some ways exposing us to experiences like the, the kind of theatre where we may walk out with a lot more questions than, than answers. Yeah, that's good, right? <laughs> I love this idea that by kind of disorganising one's experience of art 
and by disorganizing one's sensorium even, right, that one can actually become more receptive to um, certain kinds of feelings, certain kinds of experiences, maybe certain kinds of knowledge. There's a phrase that came up at just the beginning of our um, event tonight, knowledge translation. This is something that, that you and I have been talking about a bit, Michelle. Um, what do you make of knowledge translation? I mean, is this something that you feel like you're doing when you're making theater, or does this feel um, like a sort of, um, I don't know, maybe a crude way of, of describing what it is that we're doing here? What do you make of knowledge translation? Okay, so there's you know, so many examples of knowledge translation. I think the, the main thing that you know, everyone's funding at the moment is the um, translation of science into art. And we've got the um, Vivid Festival that puts science up in garish lights on buildings. And we think that that's translation. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that scientist was trying to say. And I'm really scared of what the artist is trying to say. I look at that and I go, I don't know what, that, what I'm supposed to feel or think. And I guess when I started this project, I was really scared. I thought, oh, I'm actually going to lose my voice in this because... I actually have to look after what the social scientist wants to say in this. And then there's the policy makers and all of those. And then so I, I sort of shook myself and went, no, get a grip. And I read a, a beautiful article actually given to um, one of my colleagues about knowledge translation um, in a can Canadian company. And that was when I found it was okay for me to take what was given to me from research and let it live inside me and find my own voice. Well, what does this, what do I want to say about this? And that, to me, I found that liberating moment and I'm terrified because now I've got to make a piece of art, but I'm not terrified that I'm going to lose my voice or that I have not, it's not going to be a vehicle for me to communicate. So I hope that the policy makers come and see the work and get a different insight to the data. And I hope that the academics see a new vibration in their research. Okay, excellent. Can I have one comment? Yeah, please. Um, I think it's a tricky word, translation, because translation suggests you're saying the same thing in a different language. And I think that's not what it is, because I think that would just mean that, you, yeah, you, 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 you say it again. And I think um, that kind of gives art a very specific kind of very functional role of, of repeating something that's been said in a different kind of language. Um, and it, I think it, if, it, if it works well, it's, it's, it's not an illustration of the science. It's not just a, a reiteration in a, a, with, 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 with jazz hands and some, you know, some, some fancy lights, but it's, it's something that is challenges the science as well, challenges the way in which science is expressed. I'm not saying challenges the actual data or something like that, but, but ask questions, is, is that the only way we can express or or work through that kind of knowledge, and and what, and what is knowledge? In what forms does knowledge exist, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So it's a b much more profound relationship. And then again, as a theatre scholar, I obviously do the opposite thing as well, where I then look at the artwork and try to not not translate it, but but again respond to it in some way by trying, yeah, to to extrapolate, to 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 raise to the questions that it it, it gives me in one way or another. But if I just say, I'll explain this piece to you, that, that would, again, be that kind of very literal way of as if you could, you know, as if you could ever do that and, and, and just translate it word by word. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay, so 
I think I've got a couple more minutes before we're going to open things up for questions. So I just want to hear a bit about how things have been going these past several days. You've been on the rehearsal floor together. Yeah, let's start with you, David. Ah. So what's it been like? You've come over. When did you come over? A week ago? Uh, yeah, Thursday night. Um, after a quick trip from Munich. God. Um, That's right. Yeah. It's, it's been really fascinating. It's um, because I haven't been in rehearsal rooms for a little while and I, I always find that a very special place in p particular when you're not when you don't have a very clear function I mean if you're the director or the performer or the composer you kind of know why you're there and what you're doing and I <laughs> and I was still finding that I'm still finding that I guess um, but it's fascinating to watch um, wha uh, very anecdotally I'll, I'll say what I find interesting because Michelle is a is a quick thinker and an expressive person and the, the rehearsal in contrast, is so um, is such a sort of calm pace and such a sort of quiet atmosphere in many ways, and really takes its time to explore. and um, And I'm a quick, as you can tell, quick sort of talker and and impatient and so forth. And I found that quite with with jet lag added, it was quite an experience to kind of you know <laughs> sit there, see someone rap sort of a. That's something around the head for about 15 minutes or so, you know, and then do it again, and then do it again. Um, but on a more serious note, I, I, I found it really interesting to see how how every element, you know, text, uh, um, uh, snippet, sound snippets, music, uh, um, uh, space, light, action, they all are rehearsed at the same time, which is very unusual in terms of, you know, usually in theatre you've got clear chronology, first work with the text with the actors and at some point they get costumes and at some point you add, you know, the light, etc, etc. And really that kind of very integral thinking of that all has to do with each other and it all has to bounce off each other. Um, that That's very, very exciting to watch. The difficult part, and then I'll stop, was to, to keep trying to sort of, to, to imagine what this piece that you're rehearsing in a studio space will actually look like in the physical spaces that I didn't know. And we traveled through them the day yesterday or the day before yesterday. Um, and then it kind of, that there was a lot of, oh, this is where that's happening and that's where the light is coming from. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense now. So we <laughs> yeah, that was fascinating. Thank you. So Michelle, I'm some of us who know you are, are still trying to wrap our, head our heads around the idea, this idea that you're kind of slow <laughs> and um, <laughs> really, I don't know, relaxed and taking it easy. But it's I the guess Killian we'll way. We'll take, <laughs> I don't know. We'll take David's word for it. What's it been like having David here in Sydney working with you? It's really scary. Yeah, I was really intimidated that I actually um, opened the, the day with, um, we're all sitting around the table and we have to do the, you know, oh, who are you, this is what I do. And then I just sort of, th just come out with it. I am terrified. <laughs> because this guy is just sitting opposite me and he's going to be watching me and I don't really have that. And often, you know, I'd go on a riff on the rehearsal floor in my fast moments and then I'd forget that Dad was actually in the room and then go, oh, I've got someone to ask an opinion about, which was, you know, once I got used to that idea of um, having someone to actually tease ideas out, from a point of view of not knowing anything about the project, which I think is really exciting place to be, um, I sort of relaxed into it and now I feel like he's like my left hand or right hand. It's really quite a fantastic experience. But it was terrifying at first. We all want to be fabulous, don't we? And then, bum bum. <laughs> oh, well. 
Well, thanks. Um, how about questions from the, from the audience? I'll admit that I'm uh, sort of blinded by this yeah, light. But um, if anyone would like to ask something I think Leanne's got a mic. Oh, there's, there's, there's movement. Oh, great. Is it, um, is it question asking movement, I wonder? <laughs> One, two, three, four. Ah, Leanne's got the mic. Five, six. Who'd like to inquire? Don't be intimidated. No. By the microphone. I think we can probably hear you, can't we? Um, I'm going to try to make this sound intelligent, but I was thinking when you were describing the type of composed theater and the way sound plays into it, how obviously you would call it musical theater, but in a way, if you didn't know what musical theater was, you could call it musical theater. And how, how would you intelligently say what the difference is between mm -hmm. those two? That's a See, good no, question. I'm scared. I have to say this intelligently. This is not to <laughs> No, that's a completely valid question because the boundaries between... This is the tricky thing why we keep saying it's, it's, it's about a process and it's not so much about a genre. Um, the type of work we looked at in its outcome, in what it is at the end, uh, could be a quite a number of things. You could have composed theatre where there's not a single note of music and you could have composed theatre that is barely distinguishable from musical theatre or opera or music theatre or something like that. It's it's more the process that we're interested in, and of course, uh, in in musical theatre, in the more traditional sense, you have a very chronological and very uh, separate separated kind of um, uh, a process where someone writes a libretto, someone sets that to music, someone else directs that, uh, or th then someone else produces it, etc., etc. Um, whether or not these things become actually integrated and mutually influential depends very much on the, on the individual creative team. But you could, if you want to be a bit facetious, you could say there is music, musical theatre that is not very musical <laughs> in that sort of sense of, of it being really integrated where, where you know, uh, the, 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 the lyrics really play with perhaps with with the sound where the choreography is not just a duplication of the of the already you know existing music etc cetera, etc cetera. so th that's kind of where we looked at this this um this notion of uh transference or 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 you know where where sounds become maybe gesture and gesture become rhythm and light become you know that that kind of thing where th where those boundaries are, are are worked with and worked upon more generally speaking, the, the kind of practices we're looking at have that kind of experimental drive. Most of them really want to find out something new, want to sort of tease out a new image, a new sound, a new something, which some musical theatre does, but most more often than not. And I'm not a bashing musical theatre; it's good, you know, um, but it's uh, more often about very cleverly and often very cr in a very crafted way playing with with tropes that have been there before and and rehashing that. And I'm, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying it's, 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 it plays to a different kind of, or it has a different aim. Let's put it that way. Hope that makes sense. Ma made sense. Other questions? 
You've been so lucid in your, you know, accounts of yourselves and of one another. May I ask Michelle, what's it been like tonight hearing Alex's composition? I'm really excited because we've actually recorded it. So, Alex, <laughs> I've got some good bookmarks for you. Um, and that's and it's really exciting for me to hear, um, yeah, music in a different context because that actually then informs the context that you're working in. So that's um, hopefully you're enjoying it as well. Can I just say a quick thank you um, to Hannah Della Bosca, who is actually um, the research assistant on the project, and she's just had to do a lot of work on it, and I'm like taking it. So I just want to say that hey. thank you so much for your hard work, Hannah. Here, here. What do you think, Leon? Shall what do you we? Think, Gillian? I think I don't know. I think we need to my have a drink. about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, not before I add Sorry. my thing. <laughs> Sorry, I, ju I just want to say thank you to Michelle and also to the the institute and to David and to everyone who made it possible for me to come. I think it's uh, tremendously exciting, and I feel very privileged to be here. So thank you, and thank you all for coming as well, and to the musicians <laughs> and everyone. <laughs> Thanks very, very much. <laughs>